All right, college basketball lovers, we are here. The season is over. It is episode 47 of Mad About Hoops. I am your college basketball-loving friend, Timmy Hall. He's your college basketball-loving friend, Evil Bald Colin. Well, perfection. Not going to happen. The Zags are dead. Poor Zags, man. They're, they're a mid-major once again. They can't cut it. They can't get it done. I'm just kidding. How did you see this all going down last night, man? Yeah, it wasn't even close. Um, I personally didn't see it going like that. I, I thought if Baylor was going to win, it was at least going to be a more competitive type of game. But um, it's just weird because Gonzaga, while they're not as athletic as Baylor, they have a lot of what Baylor struggles with. Is That's what's down in the post. But, uh, I mean, whatever they were throwing at them in terms of Baylor at Gonzaga with guys in the down in the post with, like, Flo uh, Thamba, uh, Chattachua, uh, and a little bit of Mark Vidal down there. Like they were able to, uh, they were picking up fouls and they were like foul eaters. But I mean, the way that they just made it almost impossible for them to, to establish any type of inside threat against Baylor was, I think, the difference maker to why Baylor was able to run away with it because the guards were going to be better for Baylor all along. We knew that going into it. That's the advantage they had, and they took advantage of that. But Baylor or uh, Gonzaga couldn't do anything with their advantages, and that's why we saw it blow out so fast. There was a comment on social media that I want to share with you right after the open here, Evil, that I know you will like. It's one that I actually agree with, and it kind of falls into how do we view this Gonzaga run with them doing all this but still not winning the big one, that national championship just yet. So buckle up. We got a lot to talk about. The season is over. The pandemic year. We got it all done. We had March Madness. We crowned a national champ. Virginia is no longer the champs of college basketball. We keep talking about it. Stay with us right here. It's Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backboard. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it just inside of half court. Lane's on the other wing. Bang. Oh! 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 Sapped it in, Jerome! College basketball! This is March Madness! All right, Evil, so it's like I was saying in the open there, I want to point you to uh, an, some friends of ours. We haven't actually met them, but we follow this account. We follow it closely. It's Mid-Major Madness. It's the SB Nation guys. You can follow them at mid underscore madness. And I thought they knocked it out of the park with this thought, and I completely agree, and I'm pretty sure you do as well. He said, I plan to write about this later, but a quick thought. This was 14 hours ago as we're recording this segment on April 6th, day after the national championship game. And it says, Mark Few did not need to win this game to prove he is one of the best coaches in the game and a future Hall of Famer. He does not need to ever win a championship in a six-game single elimination tournament to prove that. First thoughts on that comment? I would agree with that. I mean, but at the same time, is that really is that really your baseline? Is that what you're trying to achieve if you're Mark Few? Obviously not. You want more than that. You do want the championship. But, yes, I, I don't think – I've never been in sports as a whole, not just college basketball, even though it's harder in college basketball than pretty much every other sport. But I'm not a big definer on 
how many championships you win defines how your career was. And I, I think right. especially in coaching and coaching that comes out even more because I feel like circumstances kind of go against you or for you, depending on the situation that you're in. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with the post and I'm sure I'm going to agree with you that I think his legacy is going to reach wherever it wants to get to without the championships. Yeah. And, you know, I, I also don't think Colin that that tweet, I don't think in the context, is it meaning to say championships aren't important? Clearly you're in this to yeah, win championships yeah. and look at everything that Gonzaga has done short of winning the big one and look like. It's disappointing. It's depressing. You feel for Suggs, who's going to be gone, and Timmy, who likely will be will be gone too, and Corey Kispert, who you know is going to be gone unless he you know, takes the extra year or whatever. I think Timmy's going to come back, but that's just me. Maybe, maybe he does. He he and that trio that I named, he would have the best shot to to come back because we know Suggs and his lottery status and everything. But it, it's. You, you are going to want to win championships. That's obvious. That's stating the obvious. And if you're going to look for tipping points, sure. Roy Williams has the three national championships. Bill Self has won a title. Jay Wright has won a couple of titles. Tony Bennett has the title right now. But Mark Few's not finished either. Like, that's just the second Final Four that they've, that they've made. I think they're showing you that they are still ramping this thing up that they have built at Gonzaga, which is just incredible to think about. You go back 20 years ago, they are the darling. They're the Cinderella story. They're they're the uh, the team that's just getting hot, going to the Elite Eight. They're, they're basically VCU, except for now they are consistently ranked in the top five every single year in college basketball. I think Few does deserve the cred for that. It's it's impressive what was built from a team in the West Coast Conference. You got to give it up to them. I I think the only thing I disagree with is the ramping up aspect. I think they're already up there. I, I think this is quite honestly, you have to admit it's their best team they've ever had there, and they still couldn't win it. So I I don't know if they'll ever have a better team than what they assembled this year. But he's still going to bring in talent. I know they're the favorite for the Chet Holmgren, the number one guy out of Minnesota, who's a seven foot one ish. Uh, freak of nature um but but at the same time i just don't know if i can count on them forming together a team as consistent as good as what this team was and they couldn't win it i think that's just more of an odds game that you play i think a lesser gonzaga team could still win the title like they almost did in 2017 versus uh unc like i think that's the case is that they'll they'll i think they do win a championship at least with few at some point Interesting. in his tenure. But you're and you're almost saying right now that you're sure that they're not going to be as good as this team was. Oh, this is without a doubt the best team they've had, and I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think they would have a better team than what they assembled this year. But I think they will be a decent team next year. I just don't think they're going to be anywhere close to where they were this year. And that's, that's kind of everything that this tournament is about, right? Everything that you just said right there, that you can see them doing it with a lesser team. And Baylor is not a lesser team. Let's get that right out of the way. No, let's not. let's give them their credit. Let's let's say congratulations to Scott Drew and everything that he built up there because or down there in Texas. Just the second championship won by a team from the state of Texas is incredible. Texas Western. There's a movie about that team, Glory Road, a Disney flick. It's phenomenal. That was it was a one seed versus a one seed. 
And I think we knew that, you know, Baylor was going to give him hell. People might have thought that this was the year because Gonzaga was so good. They hadn't they hadn't really been pushed. Like, they'd been mowing opponents down. It had been double-digit wins until that UCLA game. But Baylor clearly just had guards at the wazoo and speed and defensive intensity. And let's face it, I mean, that story, that undefeated run, it ended quick and early for Gonzaga. They got down 15 the 18 points in the first half, and I think everybody in the room felt it. The comeback mm-hmm. was just not there. It wasn't going to be there if, if unless Baylor completely fell apart. And in a national championship game, when guys are focused and they want it and they're hungry, they weren't going to give it to them that night. Yeah, no, it's funny. The, the biggest talking points we talk about going into tournaments is how do you win in the in, in the NCAA tournament? And it's, you're winning with older players, which both of these teams are pretty much up there in terms of having elder statesmen leading yeah. their team. And then also guard play. Gonzaga's is a very decent, very good guard play team. But, I mean, you can't really dismiss the fact that Baylor probably had the best set of guards in the entire country. And it proved to be the case. Uh, but it's it's more of the development of guards. And I think Macy Otiga is such a great example of that because the kid went to uh, – he went to Walnut Hills down there in Cincinnati, took a year, I think, at Monteverd, and then signed with uh, UNC Asheville before transferring over to Baylor. But just – I, there's no five stars on that roster. Like that is a team that was developed by Scott Drew. And I mean, it, there's a reason why it took, uh, he got there in 03, it's 2021. 19 it's, years. Yeah. Yeah. 19 years, years yeah. to really even, to even win a trophy, let alone the national championship. It took him 19 years to win any type of conference hardware. Like that's, that's when you got the Jayhawks winning what 15 in a row. I mean, just locking down the big 12, nobody can get any work done, but that that's the thing just because Kansas was doing that and winning those trophies and those championships year after year, it didn't mean that the big 12 was some sucky conference. Maybe we do need to look a little bit more at that aside from the fact that, you know, there's five level one violations being thrown at Kansas, but ha ha, we don't care. We're going to sign him to a lifetime deal. And we're going to put a stipulation in there saying he can't be fired for cause if it's any of that stuff that the NCAA is already poking around. And what a concept from uh, the brass at KU right there, my guys. But it's just, it shows you Baylor's been pretty good for a while. Like that's, that's something that has been building over a long period of time. Pretty funny to see that clip that they showed on the broadcast of Scott Drew at his introductory press conference doing the thing that, you know, every every coach, when he gets a gig at a Power 5 school, I'm sure, is going to give you the national championship speech. Funny to see that being played when it comes to fruition this many years later because for the last five or six years, you could look at Scott Drew and Baylor and say that they'll have a chance. Like, they're soon they'll have a chance with what they're doing. Yeah, no, this Baylor program is just really interesting because, I mean, this is a team we thought anytime you see them in the bracket, it's like, okay, they might lose in the first round or the second round, but they're going to have some type of disappointing out. That's what Baylor used to do when they lost to Yale. There's a couple of other times where they kind of went out early before they should have, but that's because they oh, were... Man. Up, Was they the were Yale pro- loss with uh, Taurine Prince, the rebounding yes. clip? Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> That's right. No, but yeah, that, that era of Baylor basketball was they were built on defense, but they really didn't have the offense to really put away those type of teams. And now you've seen how Scott Drew's really started to change his development plan as well. They're still focused on the defense. They're one of the top five Ken Palm defenses in the country, but it's what they did on the offensive side of the ball within the last, I would say, five to six years has really propelled that program in a direction where obviously nobody thought was going to happen back in the early 2000s. 
I'm disappointed as a basketball fan. I don't know about you because what sure. what we got with that Gonzaga UCLA game, and and I don't know if I don't know if you can give the excuse that just because they went into an overtime period and uh, Gonzaga got pushed more in the Final Four game that that took something away from the title game. I think that diminishes a little bit of what Baylor actually went out and did to them. That was just. The, the better basketball team. I mean, Baylor, and I know we get it in a one-and-done situation. I understand all that. It is also fitting how we're going to see this one in the regular season, and it got canceled due to COVID. Baylor had three weeks of COVID issues that they had to sort of re-energize, reinvigorate themselves, and then go on another run. They lost a couple games, but you could clearly see, like when they got rolling, you mentioned it, their defense, how guard-oriented they are, how they were sort of built. They had some transfers here, some guys that had to develop. They weren't all high four- and five-star prospects. They were just – they had a game plan, and they had the guys, even dudes that don't really score a lot of points. You don't necessarily need dudes that score a lot of points to go and – give fits to other elite players. Like you mentioned all those forwards that were just, you know, given a lot of fouls for Baylor last night mm-hmm. that did the trick. Like they had, they had something in mind and the ball pressure on the perimeter. It was like Gonzaga couldn't even comfortably throw a pass out, outside the three point line. That's how devastating it was. Yeah, no, the numbers, the numbers really added up in this game because we talked about um, the, the, the defense of Gonzaga or Baylor and that obviously showed out in that game. But I think one of the things that we didn't talk a whole lot about, but it seemed like the broadcast really wanted to push is that Gonzaga was the best or one of the best two point percentage teams in the country. And Baylor was one of the best three point percentage teams in the country. And that really, I think is what really got that lead out right away is that Baylor was hot. Oh, they were three. hitting shots. Kind it of helps. cooled down a little yeah. bit, but overall they were hot and Baylor or Gonzaga was like one of nine to start the game. And that's just really how they built themselves into a hole because Baylor's so consistent from that three-point line and those guards can take it to the hole. You see Davion Mitchell, he can blow by it or he can just pull up from three. Like that's dangerous. And if you can't get a hold of that early, they can blow that lead out right away and there's no coming back. I did see someone say about the John Hamm intro. I think our guy Adam Jardy from the Dispatch was tweeting it. I thought the same thing. It was like, wait, you you don't think we're going to remember how there were no hardly any fans at all of these games this year. That's going to be one of the first things that we remember. Like, sure, we're still loving the basketball, and it's on TV, and there's some fans there, so we get some noise. But I don't think any of us are going to forget how this was the pandemic season that team. You know, some conferences didn't even play. You mentioned Yale earlier the, in the Ivy League. Teams had massive issues. Michigan just elected to go on pause for a while. It was nuts all year. I'm glad they got it, and you knew they would because it's their baby and it's March Madness. They did it however they needed it to get done. Some more noise was made about not NCAA property from some of the players, and we keep going in that direction, but we got it in, Colin, and it's good for us basketball fans that we got to see a champion crowned. It was it was amazing. It was everything we could have expected. I mean, we, we've learned since it expanded the 64 teams, the base field, uh, we had the most upsets ever in the tournament since that expansion process happened. Like that's to tell you just how wild the season as a whole was with the circumstances that were around it. And then now what that can explain why all of us kind of sucked in our bracket pools or our player pools or whatever. Not you, you were though. 
How about you winning this staff bracket well, with a Baylor pick? Hmm, Mr. Gonzaga boy over here. Well, to be fair, that was bracket three that I filled out randomly, like wait, re- really wait, fast. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just say, to be fair, that was bracket three? So here's this bullshit. We've got this staff bracket contest, and then all of a sudden I see all these multiple entrants from different employees. I what kind of staff contest are you allowed to just go oh, fill out one, two, three? I thought we all got one bracket and it was a winner take all. <laughs> and then you get the $400 to Diamonds Direct. You're going to make the girlfriend really happy. I don't even care about the prize. I'm just like, wait a minute. What the hell? Multiple hey, brackets? I just followed the directions and it said one of three. And I'm like, oh, I can make two more. Okay, by all means. <laughs> but, so I made, I made one Gonzaga, one Illinois, and one Baylor. And I was like, hopefully hopefully one of these will hit. And sure enough, it was the, the one I didn't even pay attention to that hits. Egregious, preposterous, outrageous. I can't believe that happened. But you're right. Brackets, for the most part, sucked. This was just crazy. But, but I as was... a whole, I mean, if you didn't pick Baylor to win it, you're like in like, best mm-hmm. 50 percentile like that's just how volatile it was this it, year because of yeah. all the upsets and everything that happened i we had that staff contest that we were talking about it was me and colin and a lot of our other employees at 97.1 the fan and there was one that we opened up so listeners could play along and they would put all the hosts and producers in a separate column i apparently was ranked at there was a little over two thousand entries and I was in between 1,900 and 2,000. That's how far down the list I was. I told you this was one where I inadvertently put UNC past Baylor in the second round. And I swear <laughs> to you, I didn't mean to do that. I looked at it afterwards and I said, oh, shit, I had Carolina beating Baylor? Oops. <laughs> and I just said, whatever. I submitted honestly, it. Honestly, honestly, a lot of people did, too, because Baylor was – Along with Michigan, one of the ones that people were easily dumping him out before the final four. I wasn't. So it wasn't crazy. But, but I wasn't thinking like I wasn't on like some, oh, Baylor's going to lose early kind of kick. Like it was a mistake. It was an oversight is what I, it was, even though I did have Ohio State going in to the final four. I, I think I had Baylor going out in the in the suite to Purdue. I think I was getting cute. So it, it still wasn't good, but I didn't have him going out in a second. Either way. I I'm not trying to make excuses. I sucked. It was all horrible. There's no, hey, yeah. especially with this year, you can make the excuse of the 14 upsets or whatever it was. Seed line upsets, um, the, the different environment. It was a Mickey mouse tournament. Like, I mean, it, it was just, it, it was a mess, but it was a fun mess. Well, it was fun. Hey, man, I got to pick the kid up from school. So f- to you, it'll be a quick zero second break. And still in the pod, we got to talk about Hubert Davis being the guy, the coolest job in all college hoops, North Carolina. They got their guy. They go to the bench and we'll try to look ahead to next college basketball season. So we'll have a lot more coming up. It's mad about hoops. All right, Tim, so we have the final announcement of the hirings of Hubert Davis down there with North Carolina. And honestly, you heard all the rumors about them staying in-house for this hiring. Uh, it made sense to me, but I right. think they would try to at least go with best guy possible. And maybe Hubert Davis is that guy, but they do go with the in-house option, or at least, close, I mean, as in-house as you can get. He was an assistant on that team prior. Um I'm curious of what you think of on the forefront of what this hire looks like. Yeah, and I want to know your thoughts as well. I I initially I I wanted to 
see North Carolina explore the best coaches in the game. And this doesn't mean that they didn't do that. It just, it sort of gives off the impression that they wanted to stay in family the entire time. You know, you kind of, you saw Indiana make that decision and that doesn't mean Indiana didn't go and, and try to woo Brad Stevens and go out and get the absolute grand slam hire that, you know, could possibly be made. But they wind up going with Mike Woodson, someone who played at Indiana and someone who knows about the culture and what it means to be a part of uh, the fabric of IU hoops. They went that way. And they went with a guy that had no college head coaching experience who's been living in the NBA for his whole life. Hubert Davis, though, he's kind of that that mixture of everything that you would look for. He's in your family. He played basketball there. He was... He was not one of the high-profile heralded recruits when he was coming up. Roy Williams talked about the recruitment of Hubert Davis and how he's one of the he's one of his favorite guys in the world. Like that's that's why he was particularly there with him from 2012 on. And you know this is what Roy Williams wanted. It was interesting to me to hear Bubba Cunningham, the athletic director for North Carolina, say that he wasn't really all that close with Hubert Davis, despite him being there since 2012. I actually thought that was kind of weird. You get the star, the TV star from ESPN's College Game Day, who college hoops fans everywhere were starting to be endeared with, right? With, With the success and popularity of that show with Digger at the time and Jay Billis, as always. So that kind of threw me a little bit, but... Watching his press conference and watching him just sort of appreciate everything that was happening and how he always wanted to be a head coach, but he only wanted to be a head coach here. I thought that was pretty cool, and I think this is a good direction for North Carolina. Yeah, this one's interesting because I I think it kind of draws parallels to me a lot of the process of what uh, Michigan went through when they found and went with Jawan Howard. Now, Jawan Howard had more NBA coaching experience than what Hubert Davis obviously just played in the NBA and then took the uh, job over at ESPN and then found his way as an assistant uh, under Williams. Um, To be quite honest with you, I I get the parallels and the reasons of why they made made this hire, but I'm more in the company of I'm going to hold out judgment until I see what he does. First off, retaining some of these guys that are either going to be entering the drafts, keeping their names still eligible to come back, and some of the guys that hopped into the portal, and I'm thinking right away of a guy like the seven foot one guy, uh, Walker Kessler, Kessler, who entered in. Did you see I, what I he said he about con- him here today or yesterday? No, I did not see that. He said Walker needs to be here. I thought it was an, a neat little, I wouldn't call it a power move, but it was just sort of a, an assertive type of statement. Like, I'm telling this young superstar this is what's best for him. It almost reminded me of, remember that story of Tommy Amaker talking to Seth Towns when he said, like, you'd be effing crazy not to come right. to Harvard. And his mom was there in the living room, too. And that's just such a cool story. Yeah, it was all, it was recirculated on Twitter. And Hubert said he needs to be at North Carolina. I texted him. I'm going to talk to him again. So it's already like like what Woodson was trying to get done at IU. He got the big fish, Trace Jackson Davis, and Christian Lander coming right back was huge for him too. So you're right. Hubert has got to do uh, get that accomplished right away, and he's got a good team coming back too. He's got you know, a good couple of players and some good recruits coming in already. 
Yeah, you're keeping. I think they're keeping Caleb Love. They'll have Leaky Black. Uh, Armando Baycott, Baycott put his yep. name into the draft, but he uh, he's keeping his eligibility open. He'll be back. Uh, Garrison, Garrison Brooks was he was a senior. Uh, I think the biggest thing in terms of Walker Kessler, you're gonna almost have to guarantee him a starting spot, and um, as long as Brooks isn't using like the super senior uh, option to come back, I those guarantees. Yes. But I, but I mean, think about it. You're either going to go back to North Carolina and not really be sure in your role with a new coach that you're not used to, or he goes to his number one contender right now, which is Gonzaga, who's going to be losing. Well, I, I guess that's also good. There's other factors to play in there because you got Chet Holmgren that's looking at Gonzaga, and it's probably his number one team. Um, so Kessler's kind of a wild card, I think, for both different teams there that I just mentioned. Um, but I, I'm just curious with the – play on the court is Davis really going to get this team to elevate above where I think their potential was, but they didn't really need it a whole lot this past year in the last year with Hawaii. Can he really start to elevate it? And then what is he going to do in recruiting? I, I think obviously in college basketball, this is the number one question is how well is he going to keep up the recruiting to where Hawaii was? Can he do that right away? Yeah. It's about that staff that you go out and, you know, I was, I was reading some other things about who he's, who he's looking for. I'm trying to find the name for who he was who he was trying to go after here. You might know him. King Rice. He was targeting King Rice for his coaching staff. I saw uh, that. I don't I don't recognize it. Yeah, I saw that. That's the uh current head coach at Monmouth. So uh that's former oh, really? it's a former teammate at North Carolina. They played together from nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety one, and he's been a head coach for 10 seasons he's coached the Hawks to a 161 and 154 record he's had you know three championships in the Metro Atlantic so I think you know I think that's a that's a smart guy get somebody that you know get somebody that lines up with the way that you want to attack this thing I I think when you go after these guys that have that NBA pedigree especially when it's a guy like Hubert that really had to work his way up and he really didn't have so much promise to him. I think it was was Roy or even maybe Hubert himself had to sort of push Dean Smith into giving him that scholarship, you know? Like, he kind of had to work for his own scholarship, and then he morphed into a first-round draft pick, and what, what did he play, 10 or 12 seasons in the NBA across a few teams? So, I mean, I, I think that was pretty big what he accomplished, and I, I just think he's the right fit and the right guy. It's more so just about reestablishing Carolina basketball as the bad boy on the block. Like, that's what it's about. And I know Duke's got a little bit of that to do as well. And we all know, we're all looking around the room here, and as we're talking about coaching hires, Evil, I mean, I don't know, is the part of you going to miss Roy Williams? And then right after this, we know Coach K's time. I mean, if the Judge Judy meme, right? Like, look at that watch. I mean, Father Time is catching up to you, man. It's not going to be too much longer. Some are saying next season they want to turn it around, get back in the tournament, have a nice finish, and that might be it for Coach K. We will see. Wow, yeah. No, he's. I, I think he's mid-70s right now, although he looks so much younger than that, the way he takes care of himself. Um, I, I think, and I don't want to go too far off a tangent, but Duke definitely seems like another program that will probably go in-house Maybe not someone that's actually on the team right now in terms of, of an assistant, but I think I, I would have said Jeff Capel before everything that Pitt's been going through. They've lost a ton of guys into the portal, but they just picked up a commit today, a three-star forward, and I think they're the favorites to land F. Reed out of Virginia, the five-star center. 
Um, so maybe he's bit rebounding a little bit there, but uh, you're saying yeah. Pitt you think is the favorite now to get Efton Reed? That's what I'm hearing is that he's kind of favoring Pitt. Oh Plus, wow! So you're thinking then, a... not again, not on a tangent. So you're thinking then it's Ohio State, Pitt, and Virginia. The Cavs would be the final I, three for him. I believe those are the final three. Mm, yes. But okay. I have kind of heard some rumblings that Pitt's pretty confident in what they can do there. Ah, well, either way, though, Jeff Capel, I think, I don't think you could go with him because he's had three. I don't think he cr- could too. He'd have. He's had three cracks at being a head coach, right? And his best stop was his first. He helped sort of get VCU set up for when Shaka Smart took it over, and that was just a. That was a great program. Why are people leaving VCU, right? Maybe VCU could have been the Gonzaga here on the East Coast if one of these great up-and-coming coaches just decided to stay there. Maybe if Shaka just stayed there and didn't go do the song and dance at Texas. Uh, it's it's interesting, I mean, though. Will, but I Oklahoma mean, will, and will, will Pitt, do, yeah. Will Wade's doing okay, even if he's just going to ignore whatever the NCAA comes after him for. Right. But, I mean, yeah, he's, no, good he's, point. he's doing okay. Will Wade after that, who moved right up to a Power 5 gig. I, I do think at least one coaching hire before we get through with this is talking about, or I guess you can call it coaching firing at this stage when we're recording this, but uh, Sean Miller being fired out at uh, Arizona. How I, I think about that has, it? How about that has, it? That has a lot of collateral damage to it because I do believe the number one guy they should go for is also another in-house guy. He played at Arizona, went to Arizona. Uh, he's one of the most polarizing coaches in the sport right now. It's Josh Passioner down at Georgia Tech. I think he should go back home. Man, I mean, and you know what? Can we really look at this and say that it was the missteps that led to Sean Miller's downfall, or is it just having a bad it's, basketball it's four, season or a combination of both? It's been, it's been four years since we got the report. Like, I don't know. At, at this point, can you really blame it on that? Well, I mean, I'm not saying I'm blaming it on that, but it certainly makes it easier when you're going to let a guy go when the performance sure. slips, does it not? I mean, I – I, I say, hey, this is karma catching up to you, buddy. <laughs> Rick Pitino was the, only, was the only guy that really had to fall on the sword for all that shit that was going on. Sean Miller absolutely deserved something coming to him, as does a number of other. Co- you just mentioned Will Wade. We talked about Bill Self. We could even really talk about Roy Williams, can't we, with some of the stuff that was going on in that athletic department that was centered around the basketball program with the paper classes and all that. But none of it seems to stick. So in a way, like, you don't feel bad, right? Like, usually you feel bad when somebody loses their gig or gets fired. But, man, it's hard to. It's hard to in this case with the evidence that we were shown. Yeah, no, you definitely can't feel bad. I'm just kind of curious of what his next step would be because I I don't know – down. I don't think that's the type of guy. I, I think you have to go assistant route. Like I don't think you're going to go just talk to another head coaching job right away, especially with that baggage kind of hanging behind them. I mean, who knows? They could, if it's as bad as they they say it could be. I mean, you could get a show clause of like five years done on them. And Maybe be screwed if yeah. you hired them. I I mean, after you do some digging around, yeah, I, I do think he's the kind of hot coach because when he was getting that gig. If we rewind seven to ten years, Sean Miller had his heyday where he was that ultra red-hot coach where people thought he could take one of the biggest programs in America. And Arizona, 
they they had that pedigree. You know, Arizona basketball with what Lou Dolson did it did to them, uh, did with them, had them in that group of you know eight to ten programs in America that were cool, that had the ability to win, that were in a major conference and had some history and tradition, and the the NBA draft picks to to back it. I think with the number of Division One head coaching gigs, someone might be willing to do that, even one of these mid-major schools that's looking for a boost. There's a risk-reward factor right there, right? I mean, look, Rick Pitino now is at Iona, and I know he it took him a while to get back in there, but that's interesting. Like, we will – it'll be a fun one to follow to see who ultimately gets the Arizona gig or where Sean Miller winds up going. But uh, last thing here for this episode, Evil, for episode – 47 taking a quick look quick poke around next year I think you got to give it up to Mick Cronin first off because you see there's like 10 to 15 different ones around the internet now all the college basketball analysts Jeff Goodman USA Today uh, Seth Davis everybody's got the way too early top 25 polls you cannot tell me that UCLA would be up there I've seen them number one in a lot of these and I know you have I've seen them too, like in the top five. No way would they be that consistently in the top five for next year without this awesome run. There is just no way. It tells you what the power of March Madness is. And when you get hot and go to the final four like that, you said it yourself, man. They lost four straight games going into the tournament. They were dead in the water. They barely got in. But look what they've done for themselves now. And a lot of people were kind of questioning how they got it because most people had them on the wrong side of the bubble. And I kind of sneak on in. Um, yeah, this UCLA team is going to be really interesting going into next year because like almost every team in the country right now, we don't know what roster t- turnover is going to look like just yet. Um, Johnny Juzang is a guy that maybe his stock kind of rose like a Michael Conley type of thing where it kind of shot up. Obviously not to the extent that Michael Conley's uh, draft stock rose in his freshman year, but uh, Juzang is a guy yeah. that could actually consider going. Uh, Hawkins probably could, although I think he stays. Um, Love timing. You'll I have love Tiger him. Campbell, uh, Cody O'Reilly. Uh, I think they have a couple good recruits coming in, so a couple good freshmen. I, I definitely expect them to be a top ten team going into next year. Number one, though, I think that might be a little bit of recency bias, kind of ticking into that. But no, it, the the hype is definitely going to be real next year for them. Yeah, just what I'm talking about, though. That's what that's what memorable trips or journeys in March Madness will do for you. They will get you up to the top of next year's polls. And let's be honest, just like it does in college football, it's not really exactly the same in college hoops, but it all helps. When you start up near the top, you've got a better chance of holding on to that and securing a better seed line in the NCAA tournaments like anything. And you just sort of try to play king of the hill right there and stay up there as long as you can. But some of those other programs that we're seeing, I I just find it interesting to get a look. And and we know that some of these can be futile, like you said, because of guys testing the NBA waters with, I mean, there's over 1200 names in the transfer portal. We're going into the silly season right now, which makes some of these way too early polls even sillier. But if you sort of project and make some educated guesses on who's back, I'm seeing Duke way up there. Zags are still up there. Michigan is still up there. Our Buckeyes, Ohio State, very highly thought of. Jeff Goodman had them at two overall. And another couple ones that might surprise people in the Big Ten, Purdue and Maryland, very, very highly thought of for next season. I mean, Travion well, and Jaden Ivey it- is going to be a stud for Purdue. So with that duo back, yeah, you could see it. 
Yeah, no, if you're paying attention to what Maryland's doing in the offseason, you'll understand the hype is real. I mean, they're adding to everything guard from Rhode Island, Fats Russell, who we've fallen in love with the past couple of years. You can still keep guys like Eric Ayala and Aaron Wiggins. And then you're adding on, and I'm going to butcher his name, but it's a guy that Ohio State recruited out of high school. He originally signed with uh, Georgetown, and now he's heading out to Maryland. It's Kudeus Wahab? Is that correct? I, I think Wahab, yeah. Kudus, Kudus Wahab? But he averaged about 13 points a game for Georgetown. I mean, that, that's a true number five. And in the Big Ten, obviously, if you have any type of number five, you have a real chance of making some noise. All right, man. Well, we're kind of going to go into that offseason mode here where we'll just be picking up things as we go along. And it's like we said, it's it's fun now. It almost feels, in an essence, like NFL free agency with everything that's going to happen to a roster. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said before, for the past couple of weeks and whatnot, like this is not over if you're at least looking at Ohio State's perspective, if you're here based in Columbus or Ohio. Um, I still believe they're going to add some type of five. Now, depending on who that's going to be, it's to be determined, but they still technically have a roster spot available regardless of what Kyle Young chooses because, again, super seniors do not count against your uh, scholarship count next season. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I can't wait. There's going to be tons of movement everywhere. you got to keep an eye out because, obviously – in the past, even if you're not really keeping a keen eye during the summer, what's happening with roster movement and whatnot, you could get lost. You're not paying to the attention to the freshmen coming in. You'll be kind of lost in October, November, and December even. Um, but even more so this year with over a thousand guys already in the portal, you have to pay attention if you want to stay up to date come November. It's like coaches we talk to, roster management is becoming one of the biggest challenges yeah. of running a program, being a college basketball coach. It's a year-to-year -year thing right now. So if you are lucky to have a core stay together for two, God forbid, maybe three years, you can really get some things right. done. The, the old, the Chris Holtman line, old wins in college basketball. And if you can ever find a way to get to that, you've got a serious shot. And we're really excited for them, uh, the disappointment from the first round loss, but starting to feel over that and getting more excited about having this core back and letting EJ test the waters and hopefully ultimately come back. It's like uh, assemble the Avengers right here, get them going. And uh, it should be one, fun. One quick, one quick question for you before we go, but yeah. are you surprised that Dwayne Washington is not, or at least not announced yet? I am. Don't you think, he, don't you think he will ultimately? I thought he would. Yeah. Especially as a junior going into a senior year, you exactly. Test the waters to get the feedback back. I'm a little surprised. Yeah, and I, I think he might still. I, I would expect that. I'm I'm a little curious like you, why EJ announced almost a week and a half ago, because you want to you wanna let that be known. I think the, the coaching staff would appreciate that, just so everyone knows the plans, because you do kind of have to hold a spot for a guy. That's part of the challenge you know it's it's a great thing for these that the ncaa and you can't say that a lot is doing in this case because you can even get drafted now remember evil you can go through the draft and i think talk to the alert the ad oh, that I, that on, I did not know. yeah you can alert the ad something like five o'clock on the monday after that you're coming back like if you haven't hired an agent and you actually go through the draft process whereas before i think it was 10 days before the draft but that was like two or three years ago when they updated the rules for testing the NBA waters when uh, also Adam Silver had that. We thought we'd be at one and done again, remember? Or, sorry, not one and done. We thought we wouldn't even have that at this point where the age minimum would have been rescinded for right. the NBA draft. And 
And that still might happen next year. That's still something that is totally in the works. It's, it's just, we talk about this every year. It's just different than football. It's, it, you're going to have guys leaving early, whether they leave out of high school, you will still have one and dones. Guys will think that they're ready after one year of college basketball. It's, it's not a three-year rule like in the NFL, so it's always going to be this way. But hey, man, th- it was a great season. College basketball is the best. We've had so much fun. We hope everybody has enjoyed the podcast. And we'll be here. We'll be here doing episodes, so keep checking up. Tell your friends where we are. Every single podcast platform they're listening on, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Pods, leave us a review and a rating. We've had so much fun. Evil, it's been great, man. It's been really awesome. We, we did it. The 2020-2021 season happened. Tim, it was a great time. It was one of the more fun seasons I could even remember in recent memory that I've actually gotten to dive into. All the hours that we put into watching games, analyzing games, analyzing all, in my case, like 353 teams yeah. in depth as le- as long as as possible as I could. But um, no, it was great. I can't wait to see what the offseason and then what 2021-2022 brings. And I'll tell you, we're going to go to a game at Hinkle this next season when tickets are easier to get because they're not, you know, $250 a pop in the NCAA tournament because everybody wants to do it. I last thing I was sitting out on the patio and I had a I was reading a little bit of that Jay Wright book called Attitude, sort of about the culture of his program. And he wrote a very detailed there was a very detailed page about taking trips and playing games at the Palestra. And he was writing about like the popcorn smell that would rise up. And he talked about going as a kid, as a fan, and then even as a coach and how he would bring the players in. And a tear just rolled down my cheek as I was reading that page. (laughs) I just sort of stopped reading. I closed it and I just sat back and went, like, that's great. Like, because I just got to do the palestra a year or two ago before the pandemic and bucket list. You've got to get there. Everyone listening, you must go to the Palestra. It's yeah, basketball it's, heaven. It, it's definitely there. I, I know I've wanted to take some trips to Philly in the, in the near future anyway. So even if I can't go for a game just to go and see, maybe if I can like check it out uh, off season wise, that would also be a fun opportunity. But no, yeah, so many opportunities. I think uh, non-conference is always best to get over to Hinkle if you want to get it for a cheaper price in uh, conference mm-hmm. season. But then again, Hopefully that's a sign that we're getting back to normal and we can actually go back and enjoy these games like we used to. All right, everybody. Practice your free throws. Don't be that guy. You got to perfect that shot in the (laughs) offseason. You got to hit those freebies. All right. We'll be back for another one soon. This is Mad About Hoops.